In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, and we are continuing in chapter 18 of St. Matthew's Gospel. You'll remember that chapter 18 begins with this discussion about uh, how it is that we are the family of God, how it is that we are members of the church, and how it is that we're supposed to relate brother uh, to sister, sister to brother, uh, what kind of a, a relationship that we're supposed to have, that we're supposed to be watchmen for each other, that we're supposed to call one another uh, to account and repentance and to uh, warn each other against unrighteousness. And then in this spirit, St. Peter uh, responds to the Lord, understanding this call uh, to repentance and to forgiveness, and he asks, how many times should I uh, forgive? Now that we're talking about this repentance and forgiveness. And St. Peter offers a really wonderful number. He is uh, starting to understand this concept of the kingdom of heaven, uh, and he understands that seven is this spiritual number, that it's the number of completeness, of wholeness. And so he's saying, should I completely forgive my brother? by forgiving him seven times. And Jesus responds with the multiplication. He says 77 times. So now he's multiplied seven again. And when we see multiplication in the scriptures, typically what we're seeing is this magnification, this uh, you know unimaginable increase. And so he's saying uh, your forgiveness needs to be limitless. Not just complete, but limitless. And so in order to get across to us the idea of limitless forgiveness, Jesus tells this parable about the the king and his servants. And of course you'll remember that when we talk about parables, there's always this one-to-one correspondent. The king is, of course, God the Father, and this is the kingdom of heaven that he's talking about, and the fellow servants are us, right? We are the fellow servants uh, who have a relationship with the Father, and we have a relationship with one another. And so what he's showing us is that our relationship uh, with one another is supposed to mirror the relationship that we have with the Father. So first of all, there are uh, two different coin systems, money systems, that you'll see in this uh, parable. There is the talent and the denarius. The denarius is a Roman coin that's essentially one day's wage. One day's wage. So the servant that owes the hundred denarii, he basically owes about three months' pay. Right? The talent is worth a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii. That means that he owes about the servant that owes ten thousand. He owns he owes about a million denarii, a million days wage. This is an impossible number. This is many lifetimes, right? And so what we're seeing is the first servant that comes that owes this ten thousand talents. He owes many lifetimes to the king. And we see him saying, have patience with me. Which, in that context, you realize is ridiculous. How much patience could the king have? He can't have enough patience. You don't have enough time to pay it. It doesn't matter how much time I give you. You're never going to pay it. And so the king forgives not out of patience. He doesn't forgive out of understanding. He doesn't forgive because of the the role that the servant plays. He forgives out of his own pity. Right? We read he had pity. He had compassion. 
And so we've seen this over and over again, that the reason that the Lord forgives us, the reason that the Lord has grace upon us is out of His compassion for us. And so the king has compassion and he forgives the servant. Now, you might wonder, what happened between this first servant being forgiven and his time out on the street? What was his response there, right? I don't know if you all can relate to this, uh, but for me, I get something good from God and then I quickly think, what's next? Right? I get something good and then I'm right on to the next thing. I forget about what's happened. So that's a possibility, that he's just moved on to the next thing. He's just in the moment, he's forgotten the good thing that he's received. So that's a possibility. The other thing that we do sometimes when we get something good from the Lord, or maybe I should say that I do, is I start to think that I deserve it. I start to think, oh, I'm such a great guy. I've worked so hard. I've done all this great stuff, right? It's about time somebody realized it. And I start to think that I deserve what the Lord has done. So that could be a second thing. It could be that uh, this servant has uh, started to think that he deserves the good things that he got from the king, right? Another possibility might be that he's comparing himself now to others, right? When he sees that other servant... He starts to compare himself to him and start to think that, that he's somehow forgetting that he owed much more, better than that other servant, right? And so that's the other thing that we do. We forget, we start to think that we deserve good things, and then we start to compare ourselves to other people. This always gets us in trouble in the scriptures. Anytime we compare ourselves to other people, we get lost. And so this, uh, this response of the king to the servant that, that somehow forgets or doesn't show mercy is, you're supposed to show mercy the way I show mercy, right? He's saying, you need to account yourself according to me and not according to others. And so the question is, how do we do that? How do we align ourselves with God? How do we participate in his pity, his compassion, and his mercy and forgiveness? Ben Sirach, this great writer of Ecclesiasticus, summarizes the wisdom, wisdom literature of the Hebrew peoples in this wonderful book. Unfortunately, it's in the Deuterocanon, and so many people have set this book aside. We've talked about this before. I can have a private conversation with you if you'd like about why it is that some people don't read the Deuterocanon. Uh, the church has always read it. Uh, it's part of the Septuagint. The Roman Catholics have already always read it. The, the Orthodox have always read it. Uh, Anglicans have always read it. It was part of the original translation of the King James Bible, and they stopped publishing it in the 19th century. I can talk to you some other time about why I think they stopped doing that. But it's a real problem because we lose, we lose this beautiful summary and explanation of the accounting of God. And what Ben Sirach shows us is what Jesus is, is, is hinting at very briefly in his parable, which is that the king is going to reconcile his debts. He's reconciling his debts. This is the king saying, there is a cause and effect relationship in the world. 
that there is a, a cause and effect uh, orderly system in the universe. And some people don't acknowledge that. Some people think that the universe is, is uh, chaotic, uh, that it's random, that it's uh, led by chance, and that randomness and chance are the organizing principles of the cosmos. And what Jesus is asserting, and what Ben Sirach asserts 180 years before him is, no, the universe, the cosmos, is an orderly place wherein what we do have consequences. And there is an accounting that God gives. We call them consequences. We call them rewards. Right? We call them results. There is a consequence to what we do and what we say. And that will always be brought back to us either as a credit or a debit. And so once we understand that the world is an organized place, that the Lord has an organized system, that there are consequences to our actions, then we can understand that accounting that he brings. And that we're always in the place of being in debt and having to beg for forgiveness. Ben Sirach shows this logic. He shows this undergirding logic. He's an amazing man. He taught a, a school in Jerusalem. He had a, a school of philosophy and theology in, in Jerusalem. And he takes all of the wisdom literature and he summarizes it in this beautiful way for us. And he summarizes it this way. He says, uh, forgive your neighbor, then you will be forgiven when you pray. He's very clearly organizing what we see Jesus say again in the Our Father, right? Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. He's saying that there is a, a necessary relationship between us forgiving and receiving forgiveness. Indeed, we can't get forgiveness without giving it. It's like love. We can't get love without giving love. People get this wrong all the time. They start to think, somebody should love me and I can still be angry with them. It doesn't work that way. Relationships don't work that way. I can't continue to be angry and then expect to receive love. If I'm going to receive love, I have to give love. Right? If I want kindness, I've got to give kindness. That's the only way that it works. This is the way the Lord has made us. And so if we're going to receive forgiveness, if we're going to value it, we have to forgive. Otherwise, we don't know its value and we don't really know what we're asking for. We don't know its value and we don't know what we're asking for. It would be like trying to drink water out of a spigot with our fingers open and then wondering, why am I not catching any water? Right? The principle is you have to cup your hand to get water. We have to forgive in order to receive it. He says, does anyone have no mercy towards someone like himself and yet pray concerning his own sins? In other words, we can't pray about our own sins if we're not practicing mercy. It's a necessary part of us asking mercy. We have to be merciful. And he says that when we to do this, in order to get to this place, we have to remember something very important. This is very popular. People like to think about this topic. He says, you've got to remember, you're going to die. This is what the world tries to get us to forget. And if you bring it up in polite conversation, you could die at any minute. People are like, whoa, hey, you know, be positive. I am positive. You're going to die. Soon. All of us. And so we have to be mindful of that, knowing that we will become accountable to God at any moment. And if we keep that thought and we recognize 
I'm going to have to be accountable for my actions, all the more knowing that we need forgiveness, we'll have that urgency to give it. And he says that this is, this is to be true to the commandments. To be true to the commandments. True is a great thing. When I hear truing, I think of wheels on a bicycle. If you've ever had a bicycle that the wheel gets wobbly and out of whack, we call it truing the spokes, right? And you have to tighten the spokes and you have to make them straight. If the spokes are wobbly, the wheel gets wobbly. And you never true a spoke according to another spoke. It would be like if we tried to line up these pictures. Don't, don't look too closely because I hung these icons. They're not perfectly straight. But even I knew that I couldn't line up these icons according to each other. I had to measure all of them from the floor, right? If I measured them according to each other, they'd all start going like this or they'd all start going like this. If we try to true ourselves to each other, if we start looking around, you watch people in the world like this, right? What am I supposed to do and what do they do? What is everybody else doing? If we start trying to figure out what's everybody else doing and then say, well, that guy, he's lost. I'm better than what he is. We are lost. To true a wheel, you have to true it to the axle, to the center of the wheel. We have to true our lives to Christ and then to the rim and then our lives begin to run smoothly. If we're truing them to each other, we're out of balance and we're lost. And this is what Ben Sirach calls being true to the commandments. Truing ourselves to God, recognizing that we're going to die, recognizing that we live in a cause and effect relationship in the universe, and that there are consequences to our actions. St. Paul is saying the same thing. St. Paul's talking about calendars, right? This is what, like 60 AD, 55 AD, right? We're talking about 25 years after the time of Christ and already the church is arguing about calendars. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful for people that are really attached to our calendars? And he's saying, true yourself. He's saying the same thing. He's saying you have to true yourself to Christ. He calls it being convinced in your own mind. We have to be convinced in our own minds. See, somebody that's convinced of their own minds is able to walk into a room, into a situation in life, knowing what it is that they're supposed to do. They're not busy rubbernecking, looking to see what's everybody else doing so that I know how to act. We are true and convinced in our minds according to the righteousness of God and His plan for our lives, and then we know how to act. It doesn't matter to me what... Uh, the governor says or what another church says about All Saints Day and All Hallows Eve, we're celebrating it. However, we're going to celebrate it. I'm convinced in my own mind. I have to acknowledge the saints and I have to acknowledge All Hallows Eve. I'm going to keep it no matter what the world says. I'm convinced. If you're not convinced, be convinced with God. We're both having to come to Him, right? We're not going together. We're each of us going to face him alone according to what it is that we've done. So we've got to be ready to say, I was convinced, Lord, that I was doing your will. And in this way, we can truly beg for forgiveness. Jesus ends this passage with that really complex theological word. This is very complex theology. We've seen it before. He ends it with this word, if. If. If you do not forgive your brother. 
if. He's saying, we will be forgiven if we forgive. It's pretty straightforward. And I was with him all the way till the end of that sentence. Right? Okay, Lord, I get it. I'll be forgiven if I forgive. Then at the end he says, from your heart. Who can do that? He's saying you've really got to mean it. Who can really do that? Which one of us has a heart that truly wants to forgive when we've been wronged? Which one of us has a heart that's really that soft towards our brother and sister who have wronged us? You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't change your heart. Because you didn't make it. God made it. He made you. And He made you to forgive in compassion. And He's the only one that can change our hearts. By the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, our hearts can be changed so that we truly love and can receive love. So that we truly forgive and can receive forgiveness. So that we truly practice mercy and can receive mercy from our hearts.